We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How we doing? IB Nation Sports Talk up and running along with Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. It is uh, Notre Dame, or Notre Dame, it is USA victory over Iran day, right? Like, Yeah, that's what we're going to celebrate today. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Salty had us counting down, ready to go. The U.S. wins 1-0 in, uh, in the World Cup, a, uh, a tense one. It sounded like they scored the, the only goal in the first half, right? I didn't see the whole thing. I've just kind of. Yeah, so they scored in the first half. Pulisic put one in and a crosser, took a shot to the abdomen and actually had to be taken to the hospital from that. I heard about. Um, and then, yeah, second half came out. It, it seemed like there, it, there was a concerted effort to maybe be on the defense a little bit more. Um, and things got really a lot closer than than I think a lot of people would have hoped towards the end. I, or Iran had. You know, a couple shots on goal that were pretty close. And and, and that situation, you know, if Iran ties it, they're going on. And so the U.S. had to win that game. They couldn't give up any any type of goal. Um, it, it was just really nice to see them move on, though, after not making it four years ago. They're back to the knockout stage. Um, they're going to play the Netherlands this Saturday. So a great, great matchup. And now it's single elimination. So really excited and hoping that they can continue to go on. But it's going to be tough. You know, they've only scored two goals in these three games. That's going to be the biggest question is, you know, how, how are they going to keep up the production? Yep. Well, they won, though. That's all that matters at this point. They're down to, I believe it's the quarterfinals, right? Like the final 16? 16, yes. Yeah. I don't know if that's quarters or not, but yeah. In any case. Um, <laughs> salty talking to you. There's a white furred animal roaming around behind you he hopes this is not unexpected news yes so uh henry's mom just got home so i'm sure he's very Ah. excited right now all right all right so henry's going crazy all right hey if you would hit that like button in youtube i saw some of the uh the likes versus people waiting earlier i mean what are you waiting for if you're sitting there waiting hit the like button you got nothing better to do at that point right and if you're in there already with us right now just hit the like button we appreciate it and of course rate review subscribe on uh, wherever you get your podcast we always appreciate it so one year anniversary brian kelly we got a a few different things that we're going to talk about today as always of course rapid fire we get a slew of different topics but 
I thought it was notable, significant, whatever you want to call it. This is the one-year anniversary that the news dropped that Brian Kelly was leaving Notre Dame for LSU. Do you remember your initial reaction when you heard the news? Yeah, I mean, I was just a little shocked when it first came out. I, I saw it over, you know, the internet, probably like most people on Twitter, and that's kind of how things I feel like I found out about a lot of things now is, especially when it comes to sports, is 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 Twitter, right? And so I guess I was I was shocked because I didn't even know that it was really an option or that that there was that he was, you know, exploring that avenue. I knew that Brian Kelly had always kind of been in talks with you know various NFL teams, and I always thought that the NFL was going to be maybe his next move. I never thought he would leave and maybe go to another college school um, and let alone just kind of, especially after the last four or five years went for him with all the 10 win seasons. Uh, so it was just shocking. You know, it was, it was kind of like the last thing I expected, I think that day uh, when it popped up. Yeah. It seemed like the NFL stuff, like any NFL stuff you heard was like almost like un, not, not really reliable, not believable. It almost seemed like stuff that was probably leaked by his agent or, you know, like his own people, <laughs> you know, because you started hearing that, you know, even after a not so great year, oh, Brian Kelly, you know, could there be NFL interest? Well, I don't think so. And, you know, lo and behold, it didn't seem like there was, I don't know, but, you know, the, he, the USC stuff is what popped it, you know, had been kind of, following him and I think Kirk Herbstreet had been you know kind of saying that he thought that Kelly would you know be a good fit for USC and all this different stuff to you know to resurrect the program and all that and LSU was just kind of like it never seemed like you know you we, you weren't hearing anything about that but then boom lo and behold I was shocked to hear it you know because again I just felt like it's he had just built a new house here in town. He had, you know, he had, it was year 12. He was in the midst of a successful run, only one loss last season, and they were still in college football playoff contention. And, you know, we'll get to that here in a minute. Most people probably won't admit it at this point because, you know, like Mike S says, shocked and relieved all at the same time. Most people probably won't admit it. The initial outpouring, if you do remember, the initial outpouring was much more shock and dismay, like with the feeling of, oh, no, we're losing Brian Kelly. It wasn't like good riddance, the initial <laughs> stuff. The first few hours, those initial hours after the news came out that he was leaving, many more people were voicing, you know, that kind of stuff, like concern, you know, like, what are we going to do? What's this mean for, you know, all that kind of stuff, like you're losing whatever you thought about him. You were losing a good coach, and obviously LSU felt like they were getting a a good coach. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. How did whatever your initial feeling was change, you know, seeing the way things went down then? probably within the next 24 hours or so, like you've got the team meeting the next morning, all that's, you know, he's, he's flying back into town the early morning calls a, a 7 a.m. meeting and, and all that stuff. How did, how did that kind of stuff affect how you felt about it? You know, some of that shock turned into not disgust sounds like a harsh word, uh, but there was just a little, there were, there was resentment and disgust with kind of the way that he ended things, um, at Notre Dame because of how long he was here, the success that he had here, you know, the clip, the, the college football playoff appearances, uh, the national championship appearances, the 10 win seasons, all of it. Um, and everything that kind of, you know, built up him getting this LSU job and whether, you know, people want to say it or not, LSU from Notre Dame is a step up for him. You know, I don't know. That's up to your personal you know, debate about what's a step up and what's a lateral movement. But for him, the money he, he was like it was a step up, you know, money wise and otherwise, otherwise he wouldn't have made the move. Right. So th this was, you know, a step up for him. And so the, the thing that I had the most discussed with is I felt like he didn't recognize honor and thank, you know, his what he built at Notre Dame, because essentially that's what got him to the next spot. Right. Like you, you don't go to a place to LSU after, you know, wherever you're at, unless you had success and success is through your players. You can coach all you want, but the players are still doing it for you at the end of the day. They're the ones buying in. And so to show, you know, to call a team meeting that early in the morning and then to, you know, dip out after just a couple of minutes, I felt like it wasn't very, there wasn't like a heartfelt, you know, thank you. I appreciate my time here. I appreciate all the hard work that everyone put in, you know, on my behalf. And because of this, I now have a better opportunity for myself and to go on to LSU. So I had a lot of disgust because of how he left things and the way he didn't, you know, appreciate his players in the end. Right, right. And and the way the players obviously found out and they had the app and, you know, the the, the whole text thing and and everyone, you know, it's like you you expect more. Now, I realize it can be hard, but, you know, he was on the West Coast and all that stuff there. I just I don't buy the whole timeline of events that all this took place within, you know, like a 24 hour window as soon as the Stanford game was over that all of a sudden, OK, Brian Kelly just got this offer. Boom. Now he's taking the head coaching job. I just the, the, the timeline had to have been more protracted than that. And for him, you know, to essentially fly back into town, call this early morning meeting, stand up there really just more or less make it about himself, you know, because we saw the video that the, some of the, whatever the players were, you know, taped inside that room. And then for him, you know, because the, the room that they did it in, in the main auditorium there at the Goog, it's kind of like a movie theater, <clears throat> excuse me, where you walk in at the ground level and then the players sit, you know, kind of up in movie theater seating. And then his office, you go up the steps 
beside those seats. His office is up at the top. You know, so he starts at the bottom. He gives his little, you know, I'm leaving and, and you know, here's why it's good for me thing. And he leaves and you kind of see him looking over. I think he thought he was going to get some kind of standing ovation from the team that never came. And, you know, so I, I think that when it all shook down, Brian Kelly was about Brian Kelly. It should be no surprise. And now, look, he's not the first coach to pack up and take a job. He's not, you know, it's not the first time. Obviously, he did it the exact same way because part of the irony of this whole thing is midseason, right after he breaks Newt Rockney's record to become Notre Dame's all-time winningest head coach, the next week he's got his old team, Cincinnati, coming into town. And every time something, you know, he's being recognized for beating Wisconsin the week before at Soldier Field when he's at Notre Dame Stadium before the game. And, of course, a booze rain out from all the Cincinnati fans who are still ticked off for how they jilted him 12 years ago in the exact same fashion. So, you know, and I, and I think that you kind of sit back and you look at that as well. Like, this guy did it twice in the exact same fashion to the last two places he was at. So... I think that that obviously skewed a lot of people's opinions in a hurry because, again, there was a lot of goodwill early on, but then when the team finds out before he actually tells them and how he called this early me only to last like seven minutes or something like that and then to, you know, to to bolt out, the the mood changed rather quickly, I would say. So, and, and, and I think that that changed a lot of people's opinions about him could he have done anything differently you know that would you know maybe have changed the way that you felt about him leaving yeah I think the number one thing would just actually be delivering a heartfelt message to his team as he's departing you know this isn't this isn't like a oh hey goodbye type situation I, I just want wanted there to be more of you know some actual uh like feelings and heartfelt heartfulness like I was talking about of just recognizing the hard work that all of these guys have done in order for him to make this next move. I just felt like it, it, he was, you know, trying to break up with a bad ex or something uh, when yeah. rather yeah, him and the relationship with Notre Dame was always something good. There was, you know, obviously you, when you're out of school for so long and there's expectations, there's certain things that probably bother you as a head coach, but it's not like it was Brian Kelly versus Notre Dame. There was, you know, it was a, a very good relationship. And then just to leave like that, it just felt like that, he could have done more to recognize the program, the team, and kind of, you know, everything that was done for him at the University of Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, Rashomon, 18. I don't miss BK one bit. I wish he would have left about four years ago. <laughs> you and know, now- this is, people get, you know, I, very worked up about the whole him leaving. And I, I reckon this is my only bad things about Brian Kelly are the way that he kind of, you know, got into it with media towards the end and the way he left. But you have to recognize and respect what Brian Kelly did at Notre Dame. He he, he came into a program and said he was going to make changes and that they would have success, and they did. He, he turned it around quickly. They went to a national championship. They went to playoffs. They played in big games. They had 10 win seasons. He did what he was supposed to at the University of Notre Dame, and I still think that people should uh, appreciate and respect him as a coach as a coach more than they, than they should. How you feel about him as a person is one thing, but as a coach, he's a top level coach. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. And I get for some people, it's hard to separate, but you can be a good coach and not be a great person. Just like you can be a great guy, great person, but not be a great coach. You know, Hugh Freeze. Yeah, it's exactly it. It works both ways, you know? Um, Yeah. And it's, that's, 
I mean, just just look at at Auburn dancing with the devil once again. You know, so it it, it got to catch Alabama though, right? But you know, for years, you know, like this comment right here, I wish you would have left about four years ago. And probably for the last three or four years, we were getting the comments like, let's say Brian Kelly decided to retire, you know, at the end of the season, who would be the candidates to replace him? You know, it's like, it's that, you know, it's like without saying, I really want Brian Kelly to leave. That was basically the code for, I really want Brian Kelly to leave. Or, you know, they were, what they were really saying is, I hope that they get rid of Brian Kelly. They were, you know, Notre Dame was never going to get rid of Brian Kelly as long as he kept winning the way that he did. And, you know, they they showed that, I think, a long time ago. But, you know, so that those were the kind of questions that we were getting over the last two, three, maybe four years. Who's who's the, you know, who are the the hot candidates? Who would you want if Brian Kelly did decide to retire step away? And there was some of that talk as well. And that kind of surprised. Yeah, so like you know, going back to the original question, I guess, you know, that the fact that he would pack up and leave Notre Dame for a place like LSU when there had sort of been some of this talk about maybe he's going to retire within the next three or four years, you know, that kind of thing. And he just did get get the Notre Dame all-time, you know, wins record. What Stymie said, what we were just talking about, finishing out the season would have been better, but I can get behind ripping off the Band-Aid too. And you know, I think that that, I think that everyone would like to see would, would would have liked to see him at the very least stick around for another week and see if they were you know whether or not they were going to be in the playoff picture. That didn't happen, you know, as I think Stymie or or Salty said before. Bowl prep hadn't even begun because you were less than forty eight hours removed from the Stanford game wrapping up on the West Coast, but. It's never a perfect situation. You know, that's one of the biggest problems with college football is what's going on right now. Hiring and firing season. You know, some of these schools had already cleared out, you know, like Nebraska obviously made their move back in September and some of these other schools did as well. So, you know, they've had a lot of time to kind of sit back and go through their process, but other schools are just now getting into it. But because of the fact that you've got so long between the end of the regular season and your bowl games, it's never going to be a perfect situation because these school, you know, like you've got signing day coming up. You want to keep your, you know, signing class together, all these different things. The next school that hires you wants you right away. So there's just no perfect way to do it. I'm not defending Brian Kelly because for his, you know, for, for, for him in, in particular, there are definitely ways he could have handled it better, but it's just, for anyone, there's just no perfect way, I think, unless you're hiring someone, you know, like Matt Rule, who's coming back from the NFL, who had already been fired by the NFL. <laughs> I agree. So do you feel any differently about Kelly now after seeing what he did at LSU this year? Um, You know, honestly, I didn't think that he would have this sort of success at LSU this quickly, to be honest with you. I mean, at mine, if they don't lose that game last week, they have very serious contentions of getting into the college football playoff if they end up beating Georgia in the SEC championship, right? So I didn't expect him to have the kind of success that he had right away, uh, but it goes along with what I thought of him as always being a, a very solid coach. Anywhere he goes, he starts to win. I just didn't expect him to win as quickly um, at LSU. And I guess when he departed, 
you know, I, I guess I don't have any really any any other feelings because when he left, I, I kind of just detached from it. You know, he was gone. Yeah. There was nothing that could be really done. I was just more interested in what kind of success that he, he would have at LSU and how quickly, you know, what would he fall on his face and have a very average year? Um, it looked like that when, you know, when they, they opened up against Florida State, but Florida State ended up being a good team. LSU ended up being a good team. You know, I, I was really honestly surprised by the fact that he had the success that he had based on kind of what people, you know, what we saw out of LSU and Ed Orgeron's last year. There was a lack of effort. There was a lack of, you know, defensive mentality, a lack of physicality, a lot of different things. And Brian Kelly really came in and changed things quicker than I thought he was going to. Yeah, I think so as well. And like Stymie brings up a, a legitimate question. Is LSU that good or is it a down year for the I mean, SEC? he beat Alabama. That's that's, that's <laughs> anytime, you know, just ask Auburn. Any, you know, that's that's why they 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 made that hire, you know, escort service hotline or not. And, you know, that's that's why Auburn has <laughs> who they have. And that's why they cleared house the way they cleared house, you know, from from the top down out there to win to to be able to beat Alabama there and you freeze beat Alabama a couple of times before you know so they're completely willing to do that the one thing I would say one I'll give Brian Kelly credit because he did win you know I thought that just what you were saying based on what Ed Orgeron had and the way that team was the 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 way the roster was when he took it over I thought he was going to have a really rough first year uh, you know, as it ended up, they be they ended up being in college football playoff contention. But they also went out and hit the transfer portal, and that's, you know, one of the reasons he left is he can do things at LSU that he couldn't do at Notre Dame. You you can't go out and raid the transfer portal en masse when you're at Notre Dame. You know, apparently you can at USC. You can't do it at Stanford, but you can at LSU. So between the fact that he thought that he was going into a situation that would be easier for him to recruit higher level athletes, and the fact that he could go out and get guys through the transfer portal and get good right away. You know, his quarterback came from the transfer portal. And, you know, Notre Dame has to go the grad transfer route most of the time. Brandon Joseph is still the exception to the rule in terms of an undergrad transfer coming in here. You know, I think another important aspect to look at is how do you feel one year removed about where Notre Dame sits, you know, with or without Brian Kelly and I think where I, how I feel about that ultimately is I honestly believe that Notre Dame is in a better situation with Marcus Freeman compared to Brian Kelly. Um, even though you know Brian Kelly had a, a, a one one win, win better than Marcus Freeman this season with you know a lot of the same kind of roster, I guess you could say, um, with what you know Brian Kelly left and what Marcus Freeman inherited. I think they're in a better situation because I think that they have someone who is more. Um, was best enthusiastic about the player coach relationships. I think Marcus yeah. Freeman is tremendous when it comes to player, you know, his relationships with his players compared to Brian Kelly. I think that Marcus Freeman is going to be a much better recruiter at an elite level. He's not going to make excuses for his shortcomings. Marcus Freeman always, you know, put, throws himself under the bus first before he throws anyone else under the bus. I think that's very admirable about Marcus Freeman. And we have to look at, you know, Brian Kelly in his first couple of years, he went seven and five, eight and four, and then went into the national championship in year three. I think we're going to see a very similar trend with Marcus Freeman. I'm not saying national championship, but I think in three years, Notre Dame will definitely be in the, in the playoff. I think he's going to get his guys in here. I think we're going to see higher level recruits than what Brian Kelly could bring in. So, you know, post Brian Kelly leaving, I think Notre Dame is in better shape. They have a younger coach. 
who seems to care about, you know, more important things than what Brian Kelly cared about. I think Brian Kelly cared about himself as a coach and everything else kind of came second. Two biggest differences between, well, you know, they're, they're more than just two, but the, between Kelly and Marcus Freeman, it start with the personality that Marcus Freeman has and the way that he's able to connect with people, you know, the way that he is more genuine with people that is not, you know, not everything is a transactional relationship like it was with Brian Kelly. You know, there's a big gap in, in, in the, rec- in the, uh, the coaching experience, obviously basically three decades on Kelly's side. Now one season on, uh, on Marcus Freeman's side, you'll get coaching experience over time. I, I don't think Brian Kelly's personality overchanged with time and his appetite you know, for being a better recruiter didn't change over time. He went out and got a Marcus Freeman and got guys that he thought who could do the recruiting for him. And obviously that was paying off in the one year that Marcus Freeman was under him it, so well that it became obvious that this is the kind of guy that, and as we step back from this now, there, yeah, there were going to be some growing pains. We didn't know what the growing pains were going to look like, but the recruiting class is held together. It keeps getting stronger they're getting close to the finish line now with uh, the early signing period coming up. And I just what you said, I think it's going to continue to get better. So I do think that ultimately Notre Dame is in a better place. It's just a matter of continuing to stack these big classes on top of big classes. It's not enough just to have one. Now you got to go out and get the next one as well. But I think that that's a task that Marcus Freeman and, and his guys are fully up to. Yeah, I think the biggest example you can look at in like the like if you want to look at where recruiting is going and the level of athlete that's coming to the University of Notre Dame now under Marcus Freeman, Benjamin Morrison is class A example of what I think we can expect at, you know, positions outside of cornerback. He's going to bring in guys like this at wide receiver. He's going to bring in guys that like this at linebacker. It's just a matter of time before we see these guys actually start working in, you know, and getting into the system here. And that's what's uh, ultimately the kind of the frustrating not frustrating but the thing that we have to be patient with is getting guys like Benjamin Morrison you know it, through the cycle of Notre Dame because I think that's the level of player that we're going to continue to see from now on yeah yeah and you're going to have to get used to as these you know higher higher starred guys start coming in you're going to have to get more used to the fact that might you know the Michael Mayers of the world are going to be the rule as opposed to the exception you're going to see more three-year guys as opposed to four-year and even five-year guys, but that's good because the state of the program, I think, is going to be in a lot better shape. And, you know, like Mr. 2.0 says, the season went as well as it did because Marcus Freeman works his tail off and was able to pack in about one and a half to two years of head coaching learning into his first season. And, you know, I think the point of that is the fact that Marcus Freeman, you know, there were things that we saw Marcus Freeman, he was willing to be very self-reflective, look in the mirror all the time and say, okay, I need to get better at that. You know, we saw growth from him as a head coach throughout the season when things could have easily fallen apart after the loss to Stanford, you know, he just kept working, kept working. And, you know, again, looking at himself, how do I, how do I make this better? How do I keep this thing together? And, you know, obviously the USC didn't game didn't go the way anyone wanted it to go it's close no he just star. wasn't there yet USC was yeah. the better team just, unfortunately that's right that's right <laughs> just not quite over the hump yet 
Um, That's a big test for a first year head coach to end your season against a playoff team and a high, you know, the guy that's probably going to win the Heisman. That's, that's a tough, tough ending to a first season. I'll save the letter grade on this question from Brent, because that's one of the things that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to do some evaluating of, you know, position groups and coaches and, you know, especially the new hires and stuff like that. It's really, you know, again, I don't want to put a letter grade to this. I would say Al Golden, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll save this here for just a second. Yeah. You, you want to save it for when we have that question in rapid fire and kind of. Yeah, I actually was hoping that. that you would highlight the comment because I, I remember yeah. that we are going to get into a little bit of that later. Yeah. And I'll I think that that question in rapid fire is a good segue into kind of the overall picture right. of the defense this season. Right. We'll come back to this. We'll come back to this because we got something to wrap it. You know, this again, it, it ties into a question that we've got. So we'll, we'll save that for rapid fire. But I think there was good. There was bad. I think there was more good than bad. It's just that, you know, sometimes it was hard to <laughs> to tell the difference. <laughs> um, Jess, you haven't had the chance to comment. You know, you did the countdown to kickoff show with Vince on Saturday. You haven't had to comment the chance to comment since the Notre Dame USC game. So I know you thought that there was one major coaching decision that Lincoln Riley made that ultimately won the game for USC. Yeah. So I, I was really hoping that I'd get a chance today to kind of briefly get into my thoughts about the game because of I didn't get to, you know, do the watch party. I didn't do the post game show. And then obviously a lot of the, the bigger reactions on this show come on Monday, considering it's the first show after the weekend. Um, and I got into it a little bit there. You know, USC, first and foremost, was just the better team. Ultimately, you know, where they're at right now, Lincoln Riley has more experience in Marcus Freeman, has a quarterback. That is, that is probably going to be the finalist for the Heisman, if not win the Heisman. But early on in the game, as I was watching, I thought that Lincoln Riley made one major decision. I think like the ultimate thing that won USC the game. This is just, hey, just really what I thought. Yeah, I can hear you. You're kind of chopping up a little bit there. You started chopping a little bit all of a sudden. So I just want to make sure that, that – that your connection's good because I, I know you've got something good to say there and I want people to be able to hear it. <laughs> can we hear Can we hear better now? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so just to recap a little bit of what I was getting into, if you heard me, you didn't hear me, uh, I thought USC obviously was a better team. They had a Heisman finalist, if not the Heisman winner. Um, but there was one thing that I noticed early in the game that Lincoln Riley did, and it was a very it was a deliberate move, and I think it helped USC, and ultimately it's what won USC the game, in my opinion, amongst other things. Um, but Lincoln Riley made a conscious decision that his team was going to come out and run the ball when the whole focus was rightfully on Caleb Williams and their passing game and Addison at wide receiver, right? And all week, Lincoln Riley heard about how Notre Dame was going to run the ball on his defense because his defense wasn't very good. Well, look at what happened. USC was expected to pass the ball. And they came out and ran and established their run game early while simultaneously, you know, stopping Notre Dame's run game. And then when they got a big enough lead, that's when they said, OK, we don't care if you open up the pass game and make it a track meet because you're never going to catch us in a straight passing game. We know that you're going to win. The, if you want to go into a shootout and a track meet, we have the better quarterback and we're going to you know, that's that's our that's our bread and butter. We're going to be able to do that. And so Lincoln Riley's conscious decision to, you know, th that opening drive, they ran the ball for 33 yards 
and, and passed for 42 and, yeah. and 31 of those yards came on the third, you know, the first third down on that play where he extended the play and got, you know, 31 yards. So Lincoln Riley, you know, said, okay, yeah, we can't run the ball. Notre Dame's a better running team. I'm going to, we're going to establish the run and flip the script, right? He knew what Al Golan was going to come out and do. And then on the other hand, he said, okay, our defensive line isn't physical. Our defensive, you know, we can't stop the run. And that's immediately what they did. They shut down Notre Dame's run and made them have to go into their passing game. And so to me, that was the, the ultimate, you know, coaching decision, in my opinion, that flipped the game early because when USC got that lead, there was no way that, that Notre Dame could go blow for blow and catch up to him in a, in a, in a passing attack. And yeah. I thought, you know, the biggest thing was Notre Dame, you know, USC goes out and gets a seven to zero lead. Notre Dame takes the ball and goes eight yards on first and second down. And then they three and out yeah. and three and out. And they, they run the ball on all three plays and Lincoln Riley shuts it down. Now the third and the third and two play call is, it was really frustrating to me because Tommy Reese, you, you can't pack everything in, right? When you, when teams know that you're supposed to stop the run and that's what you're trying to do, you can't pack everything in like that. You can't, bring everyone to the line of scrimmage and especially because even it even goes with two backs out there, which is like, typically I'd be going, yeah, okay, here we go. But then he did just what you said. He packed it all in. USC has all 11 guys in the box on that play. It's so it's just, you're asking to be stopped. And another thing he did is they're on the left boundary and they run to the field side. USC strength on defense is their speed. And you're going to try to outspeed them. To, to the field side, I mean, come on, you pack it in and then you try to run a speed option out to the basically a speed option play out to the field side and wonder why you got stopped. I know there was a blown assignment by a tight end blocking, but my goodness, you, you can't pack everything in when everyone knows you're trying to run the ball. It's And so then USC gets a stop there, get a short field, and then they go up 10-0, right? And then yeah. again, Notre Dame comes out, they run six run plays for only 19 yards. And again, on third down, QB sneak gets stuffed. And then fourth down, you run a play that you've showed on tape for the last four games. Like, run something new. You can't run the same play that you've shown on tape. And you're talking times. about Mitchapalooza, of yes, course. Yes, and when a team knows, again, you're trying to run the ball on a short-yarded situation. You can't be doing stuff well, that, that you've shown before. I talked about this last night. You know, it wasn't just fourth and inches or, or fourth and a half yard. It was fourth and a long yard. Yeah, that's what you decide to do, where, again, you're packing everybody in the box and you're running a play that everyone has seen. It would have been the perfect time to instead of Mitchell Evans runs it up the gut. You know, he does like the Tim Tebow where he pulls it out and he's doing a little pop pass. You know, because I think it was Jaden Thomas that was sitting on the left end there who really didn't even block anybody. He just kind of jumped on the pile at the end. You know, you. Could have just, uh, just a free release, and he he might have even scored on that thing because there was no safety help back there. Exactly. So that's you know that's that's what I was most most frustrated with was you know Notre Dame obviously was gonna that's their bread and butter they're gonna run the ball. Lincoln Riley shut it down, and then he flipped the script and said, "Okay, my team is gonna run the ball on you, and we're gonna control the physicality and all those things." So. I just thought that, you know, Notre Dame did a good – played a, it, overall, it was a well game. Like, you look at the stats and things, you know, the, a lot of similar numbers, but the, the numbers that were different is Notre Dame had 101 rushing yards and USC had 204 rushing yeah. yards. That That's what won the game. Lincoln Riley flipped the script and said, we're going to run the ball and we're going to shut down your run game. Two things that no one thought that USC could do that week. 
you know, and again, we touched on this last night, but, you know, back to Brent's comments and, and some of the other stuff that people have been saying, that was the biggest to me, because like, I'll, I'll tie this in to what I was going to kind of bring up. Some people watched our show on YouTube last night, and there were a couple comments, you know, afterwards saying that we blamed Drew Pine for the loss. More than one comment saying we blamed Drew Pine. Now, that's not even close to what Vince and I, you know, thought <laughs> we said yesterday. That's that's not even close. So I don't know specifically what people heard that made them believe that. But, you know, because like we mentioned, hey, if you switched quarterbacks on the teams, Notre Dame is going to win that yes. game. So if if you're taking that to mean we're blaming Drew Pine for the loss, that you know, that's not even remotely what I said. I think it's more on the defense and the lack of adjustments that Al Golden made, but at the same time, the two plays that you brought up, the three and out and the, you know, jet sweep, whatever you called that to Logan Diggs, when, if you're going to run that play at the, at the very least should have been Chris Tyree with the ball in his hands and not Logan Diggs. And then the Mitchapalooza thing, like those two plays getting stopped in those situations, going three and out right after USC came out, and did all this misdirection and marched right downfield, scored a touchdown. Now, the defense did hold USC to a field goal after they go three and out on their opening drive. So I will give them that. And, you know, there were times, you know, they they the secondary played really well. But the fact that they were never able to adjust to that running game, I completely agree. But those, the three and out on your opening drive after USC has just scored and then coming up short on fourth and one with Mitchapalooza using that same play again just going back to the well again and again and again i thought that those two results were also you know played just as big a part in in the result of the game ultimately yeah you know i i hate to be dramatic but when when they got stopped on that third down and got stopped on the fourth down i i thought that usc's chances to win were about 90 percent. there's just when they get out to that big of a lead and what yes. Notre dame's offense wants to do you can't you're not going to catch up to usc i'm sorry like Caleb Williams threw three interceptions all season. You're not going to catch up to him. And I thought that Rose Shaman brought up a really good point. There was no creativity again from, from Tommy Reese on these short down situations. And look at what Lincoln Riley did on that first oh, drive. How many different little plays did we see? You know, that, that end around play where Caleb Williams had to, you know, get offensive pass interference in the end zone. It's still a play that ha they hadn't shown yet. There was creativity. There was, you know, Addison taking like some sort of jet sweep. There was, so much more creativity between Lincoln Riley's first drive and Tommy Reese's first drive. <laughs> Man, people are people are slinging it in here tonight with uh, you know with the back and forth on who's to blame for what <laughs> and, and everything else. But um, yeah, so again, I, I guess it is what it is at this point. But there there are blaming Drew Pine was was the last thing that we were trying to do last night um was that drew do you think it was drew pine's best game i would take drew pine you have some hesitation means that i think we're gonna it's be on not, the page with this it's not because i know his passing numbers were great he had like 318 passing yards and only two or three incompletions but the fact of the matter is, is he made the most crucial plays in his turnovers in the most crucial part of the game. You couldn't, they were driving down with that first, that, that first drive after the second half and he fumbled that ball. And if you score any sort of points on that, instead of fumbling, especially a touchdown, 
it's a huge momentum shift. And then USC takes that turnover and goes for a touchdown themselves. And then again, towards the end, when you're trying to, you know, get some sort of comeback in, you turn the ball over again with the interception. And it's like, I know that I would take his Clemson game over our, over that USC game. And his passing numbers were nowhere near the same in the Clemson game, but he controlled the offense. He didn't turn the ball over. And unfortunately, he turned the ball over when it mattered mo- most against USC. Yes. And, you know, like if you're, if you were playing fantasy football, Drew Pine had a nice fantasy football game, right? You know, he had a good response after, you know, the drive after the fumble. They drove for a touchdown that ended with Deion Colsey's first touchdown. As Lux says, numbers are deceiving, or at least they can be deceiving. He did a good job, did, did a lot of really good things, probably 98% of the night. Played a really good game, but he also had the two turnovers. And those both of those turnovers were completely on him. There is no way around it. And I was thinking about this today. I was a high school wrestler. I remember my junior year. I'm wrestling this guy. He's one of the top guys in our weight class in the state. And I am beating this guy from the start of the match till midway through the third quarter in virtually the entire match. I am I, I I'm I'm controlling this thing. It is my match against this guy then midway through the third period i make a mistake next thing i know boom i'm on my back that's that's the match game over i lose after i just dominated this guy for basically the entire you know for all but about a minute of this match and i'm walking off the mat i'm pissed off my coach grabs me and he says that was that was the best match that you've wrestled all year right up until the end and it well guess what the end counts the end is part. The mistake is still part of the match, of the game, of whatever you know you call it, whatever sport you happens you happen to play. You can be good for ninety nine percent of the time, but if one mistake ultimately ends up being a crucial mistake, then you can't say it's his best. Again, now I'm not blaming Drew Pine for the loss because there are a lot of other factors that go into the end result. The those two turnovers had an impact on the game. And so you can say that he had a great completion percentage, which he did. You can say he had a uh, you know career high passing yards, which he did. But one of his three incompletions was an interception. You know, so it's not just twenty three for twenty six. One of those also directly gave the other team to the ball. And fumbles don't show up in the stats, of course. And that's something that I've always thought that fumbles that should be an official stat for offensive players. It shouldn't just be a team stat. You should know where the stat, you know, where the fumbles come from. So, you know, I'll say he had a really good statistical day, but I can't call it his best game because those two turnovers impacted the game. Again, I'm not putting it on him saying they cost them the game, but they impacted the game. If he had, you know, in the end, led Notre Dame to a comeback win after those turnovers that negates some it's all of those forgotten. turnovers. Then yeah, then then maybe I feel differently about it. But you're still you're out there to win. So I can't say with those two kind of costly mistakes, I I just I can't say that it's his best game because they, you know, it's a really good game that ended in a loss. That's that's all it is. Just like Charlie Weiss, you know, 17 years ago. He's still the head coach that lost the Bush push game. You know, like he said afterwards, I'm still the head coach of the team that lost one of the greatest games that you'll ever see. And that's what he is 17 years later. He's still the coach that lost that game. So I, I just, I can't call it his best. 
Exactly. And, you know, Brent, sorry, I want to get to a, another comment that I saw here, and it was from Brent Smith uh, a little bit up, uh, and it says, Notre Dame should have begun the game passing the ball, a balanced attack. That's exactly what I was talking about and the difference that Lincoln Riley did. He flipped the script, and he let his run game open up what's the better part of his offense in the pass game. I thought Notre Dame should have done the same thing and came out and attacked with the pass game and let their run game naturally you know, open up as the game went on, because USC has proven that their secondary is not good. You know, these are high scoring games. A lot of teams rack up the passing yards. I would have liked to see Notre Dame do the same thing. They were expected to run the ball. I would have liked to see Notre Dame come out and pass the ball and then let that open up the rest of their game. similar to what USC did with the run and, you know, sub subsequently the, the pass game. As Brent said, 14 points off turnovers. That's, you know. That was it. Yeah. It, it's, you know, again, it's a good performance. It's a good fantasy football performance, but I can't call it his best game, just the way the game ended up at the end. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.